tomorrow, we'll be celebrating the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for many folks, it'll be a, a happy time of family member uh, memories and Christmas is past, and that's a good thing. Uh, for most, it, it brings those things, and it's a time of sweet fellowship. It's a time of, uh, of busyness with uh, parties and food and gift giving and all those things, and those are wonderful. But that's not what Christmas is really about, is it? For a believer, it's a very important event of the year because of the birth of that baby 2,000 years ago. For a believer, it means that God stepped into history. And lest you say, wait a minute, God's always been involved in history. I would say, certainly, I agree with you. Of course I agree. After all, it's, it's his story. God's always been involved in history, intimately involved, every second. But in some cases, he actually appeared. He stepped into our time and place here. He came to earth. He appeared in some form to Adam, to Abraham, to Moses, and others. We know those as theophanies, visible manifestations of God himself. God showed up, but he showed up in various forms at different times. Sometimes he appeared in a vision like to Abram, sometimes in a dream, sometimes as what we call the angel of the Lord. He appeared to Moses, you remember, as a fire on a bush, and he spoke with an audible voice. Sometimes he was thunder and lightning on a mountain. Sometimes he was a pillar of cloud. Sometimes he was the Shekinah glory cloud resting over the mercy seat. When God appeared in those ways, it was unusual. It was supernatural. It was spectacular. Most of the time when he appeared, uh, whoever he appeared to was afraid and they thought they might actually die. But tomorrow we're going to celebrate a very different appearance of God. We're gonna celebrate God's appearance in the birth of a baby. And that birth that we'll celebrate tomorrow is not like any other birth that ever took place before or after. That was the birth of a human being who would live a normal life and grow up to be a man, but not just a man. God, for the very first time, would bridge the gap between himself and man. He would be living with us as one of us. God had to step into history in a different way this time because of the condition of the world. The world condition was bad. It was terrible, in fact, without hope. And man's condition was bad because of Adam's sin. Man fell into a sinful condition and every person born since then has been in the same condition. 
And that fall affected everything. When Adam disobeyed God and sinned in the Garden of Eden, he plunged all creation into chaos. As a result of Adam's sin, we have weeds and tornadoes and floods and mosquitoes and snakes and wild animals and sickness and death. Everything around us is broken and we are broken. There was nobody that could resolve that terrible condition. God had to do something. But this time, God didn't show up in a dream or a vision or even a fire on a bush. God long before had made the decision to become a human being. The king would come to save his people. He could have come in a different way. He could have come as a grown man. After all, he created Adam as a grown man. But he didn't do it that way. He decided to come as a baby. Miracle of miracles. Our church has new babies coming pretty often, and it's always exciting. When those new babies arrive, we always are excited to see what they look like, and we go down to the hospital to see them or visit them at church, and we congratulate the parents, and we comment on the baby. We might uh, look at that baby and comment on the size or the hair or how much he or she looks like mom or dad. We, we like to make some comment about the baby. Tomorrow, we're gonna be celebrating the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago that we didn't get to see. And that birth was different than all the births that we get to see when, when one of ours comes. And I'm sure when Mary and Joseph uh, saw that baby and some of the other folks around, they probably looked at that baby and they made comments about the baby. Maybe Jesus was a cute baby. Maybe he was just average. We really don't know and we don't have any pictures and all the pictures that people have done are just their imaginations. So we don't know. But there were some comments made about that baby. And I thought this morning it might be fun to just kind of go through some comments that were made about that baby. Just review some of those. They'll be helpful to us in identifying who those people that made the comments thought this baby was and what made this baby so different and who we ought to think this baby is. We do sometimes make comments about babies before they're born. We have hopes about this or that in their lives and we can dream about what they'll be like. But those are just that, dreams. We have no idea how that baby will turn out, what he'll grow up to be. And the outcome could be very different than our dreams. But there were some comments made about that baby 2,000 years ago before he was born, years before he was born. We find those in our Old Testament. You won't have to look up these. Will's gonna put these on the screen for us as we go through these, so you can be lazy this morning. Isaiah said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That name means God with us. Uh, Wait just a minute, Isaiah. A virgin will conceive? No, that that can't happen. That's, That's impossible. We know better than that. Women who haven't known a man don't have babies. Isaiah, you must be mistaken. But true prophets from the Lord are never mistaken, are they? Some people might have said, well, there might be something to it, but it takes a lot of faith to believe that prophecy because we know virgins don't conceive. If a virgin conceived, we know how that happens. What would her family say? There'd be a lot of talk all around town. But if we accept the prophet's words as true, then there must be something really special about that baby that was going to be born about 700 years later. But remember, Isaiah said it would be a sign. What does the sign do? It gives us information. And what a sign, a virgin conceiving. Wouldn't be nearly as great a sign if it weren't a virgin. That's a big sign just in itself. But there's a whole lot more to what Isaiah said. Isaiah said that baby would be Emmanuel, God with us. People probably said that next part of the prophecy, we really don't understand. Isaiah, you say he'll be Emmanuel, God with us. That too is impossible. God isn't a baby and he would never be a baby. God couldn't be born a baby. Why, why God's eternal. He, he's always existed. He can't become a baby. Isaiah, there are too many hard things about what you're saying. Incidentally, when that baby was born, he was called Jesus, not Emmanuel. Jesus was his name. Emmanuel was just a designation, a characterization, sort of an explanation of who he is. He is God with us. Isaiah talked about other names at a different point. Remember a couple of chapters later, Isaiah said his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those aren't his names. Those words tell us who he is. We're getting an idea of who he is. We're learning about this king who will save his people from their sins. The prophet Micah commented about this baby too, long before he was born. Micah said, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who will be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from ancient days. This baby's birth was so important that God told the people through the prophet Micah exactly the town where that birth would take place. But he tells us a lot more about this baby, about this baby than just the place of the birth. He gives us the name of the town, but he goes on to say that this baby would be the ruler over Israel. Even beyond that, he's going to be the ruler over all his creation. 
Micah wants us to know that this baby was not new in one sense. This baby was eternal. He did exist from before all creation, from eternity, from ancient days, Micah said. This baby was more than just an ordinary human being. But let's move forward about 700 years. In God's appointed time, he began to give out some further information about this baby. He would send a message to people who lived during the baby's time to make comments about this baby. Even a message to Mary, who would be this baby's mother. As you know, prior to the announcement to Mary, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah while he was serving in the temple. And the angel told Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth would conceive and be pregnant with a son. And they were to call that son John. He would be John the Baptist. He would be the forerunner of Jesus and would turn many to the Lord. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, Gabriel was sent from God to Nazareth to a virgin named Mary. And Gabriel said to Mary, don't be afraid, Mary, for you've found favor with God and behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus. He will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's a lot of information. Gabriel said about five things there about this son, this baby to be born to Mary. First, he said, number one, he'll be great. Well, that's good news. Most mothers would like for their babies to be great. Saying he would be great would be quite an understatement, wouldn't it? But it's not very specific. Great in what way? Gabriel gets much more specific. Gabriel says he's going to be called the son of the most high. Wow. The most high? Who is the most high? That's almighty God. That's Yahweh. Mary must have been astounded at that statement. To say he would be great is one thing. To say he would be the son of Yahweh is something else. That gives him equality with Yahweh. Could this baby I'm about to have possibly be equal with God? Next, Gabriel said, this baby would be given the throne of David. Remember way back in 2 Samuel King David decided to build a house for the Lord, but the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David and told him that David would not build that house. Instead, God said to David, I'm going to build you a house. And he was talking about a lot more than a physical house. He was talking about a kingdom. He was going to have a kingdom forever. He would establish David's throne permanently as a kingdom and he wouldn't take it away. He told David, and your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. 
your throne will be established forever. Now Gabriel is telling Mary that her baby would be the same one to sit on the permanent throne of David and that his reign would last forever. His reign would be over the house of Jacob and over all Israel. And then he said his kingdom would never end. His what? Kingdom? That makes him a king. Mary would have to understand that Gabriel was speaking of the king, the Messiah, the anointed one they had waited for all their lives. Was the king now about to come to save his people from their sins? What an amazing amount of information Mary had to absorb from this angel. I don't believe there's any indication that Mary doubted what Gabriel had told her, but she still couldn't understand how this could possibly happen because she was a virgin. She couldn't be pregnant. So Mary asked Gabriel about that. And Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Nothing is impossible with God. Gabriel tells Mary that the Holy Spirit of God would overshadow her with the power of the Most High. There's that mention of Yahweh again. And then Gabriel makes it even clearer. He says this baby is going to be holy, the son of God. This baby would be the anointed one, the Messiah. The time the Jews had waited for for so long had finally come. The king would be coming to save his people from their sins. Paul comments on that much later when Paul says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. This baby would be the king who would save his people from their sins. Well, time soon revealed that Mary was pregnant and Joseph, to whom she was engaged, found that Mary was pregnant and he was a just man and didn't want to make her a public example. So he decided to put her away. And Matthew tells us that an angel appeared to Joseph too. And he said, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And we know that the very name Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. He saves his people from their sins. This angel who came to Joseph from his creation knew the second person of the Trinity as the king of creation, the reigning monarch, deserving of worship. And yet this king was going to be born of this young woman in order to save his people from their sins. 
I wonder if the angel understood all of this, even as he was announcing it. I don't know. But he was doing the bidding of God to inform Joseph that this was a very special baby. Matthew goes on to tell us that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah that we quoted just a few minutes ago. This great plan of redemption that God had established before the foundation of the world was coming to fruition. Well, Mary wanted to go see her cousin Elizabeth, and so she traveled to the hill country to see her cousin. And when Mary Mary entered the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, we're told that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped. That's pretty unusual, wouldn't you say? At that moment, Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Some have placed far too much emphasis on the first part of that sentence and maybe not enough emphasis on the second part. Mary certainly was blessed among women, no doubt about that, but far more blessed was the fruit of her womb, the baby she was carrying. Elizabeth went on to say, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She said, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. How could that baby in Elizabeth's womb leap for joy? This whole scene has something of the supernatural about it, doesn't it? This scene has God's hand all over it. And did you hear what Elizabeth called the baby in Mary's womb. She called him her Lord. How did she know that this baby in Mary's womb would be her Lord? Elizabeth was a godly woman who with her husband, Zachariah, had been waiting for the coming of the Messiah with great anticipation. Then they were told that their baby would be the forerunner of the Messiah. When Mary came in, John leaped in Elizabeth's womb and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth had this figured out. This baby that Mary is carrying was the promised Messiah and he would be her Lord. He was to be the king who would save his people from their sins. Mary made a comment too. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Why would Mary make such a statement about the blessings of God on her life? She was blessed, but she was talking about that baby that she was carrying. She was saying this in response to what she believed about that baby that she was carrying. Why would she consider that all generations would be blessed because of that baby she was carrying? 
all generations would be blessed because she was carrying the king who would save his people from their sins. He would redeem a people from all tongues and tribes and nations. And it was because of what the angel Gabriel had told her about that baby. She believed that that baby in her womb would be her own savior and save his people from their sins. Well, the time passed and a few months later, Zachariah and Elizabeth's baby was born and they named him John as they were told. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied and he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he's visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to sow the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now think for a minute about this scene. Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife, has just given birth to John. Zechariah and Elizabeth have to be pretty excited about that. Remember, Elizabeth was barren. That's their first baby. They don't have any other children. This is their firstborn. But does Zechariah begin to make comments by talking about John, as most proud fathers would normally do? It doesn't appear so. What Zechariah says is a pretty unusual thing to say right after the birth of your own son, wouldn't you say? Look at the phrases that Zechariah uses there and what he says. God visited, redeemed his people, horn of salvation, saved from our enemies, delivered. That's not John that does all that. Zechariah wasn't talking about his own baby. He was talking about the baby in Mary's womb who was to be born shortly. He was talking about the king who would save his people from their sins. He did go on to talk about his own baby, to talk about John. He said about John, and you child will be called the prophet of the most high. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give the knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Even in Zechariah's statement about his own son, he's talking about and pointing to the son of Mary. He's calling him Lord, and he's talking about salvation and the forgiveness of sins. I'm very sure that Zechariah was most proud of his newborn son. But even then, he's thinking about the birth of Mary's baby. The importance of the birth of Mary's baby exceeded the importance of the birth of his own baby. The importance of the birth of Mary's baby 
is more important than any of the births of our babies that we have coming here. No matter how important the birth of your baby is to you, the birth of that baby that Mary carried is of no comparison in importance. Without the birth of Mary's baby, we would all still be in our sins. But with the birth of Mary's baby, we have a king who will save his people from their sins. The birth of Mary's baby was still several months away, but Zachariah was already looking forward to it. And shortly the time did come for her to be delivered. And she and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem for the registration according to the decree from Rome and according to the prophecy. Isn't it interesting that everything fits God's plan? Even a decree from Rome fits God's plan. When Mary's baby was born, there wasn't any fanfare around that birth. It even took place in a lowly stable or a cave, and he had to be put on a, a bed of straw. Pretty lowly birth. But something else must have been going on behind the scenes. I'll bet angels were watching that birth excitedly and expectantly because the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one they had known from their creation, had left heaven and was becoming a baby. Miracle of miracles. They had probably seen miracles before, but nothing like this. God resident in a baby? They were perhaps some angels doing battle against demonic angels who were sent to prevent this birth from taking place. But nothing could stop that birth. This birth had been ordained before the foundation of the world when God determined to redeem a people for himself. Nothing could stop that. And there was only one way for that redemption to be accomplished and that was for God to make the sacrifice himself. That sacrifice had to be perfect and only God is perfect. So he had to become a human being in order to die as the perfect sacrifice. This king would have to die to save his people from their sins. Again, angels were messengers. Luke tells us that there were some shepherds out in the fields that night, keeping watch over their flocks. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. But look at the comment that the angel made to him, to the shepherds. Don't fear. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel was saying that finally the Messiah that so many had waited for for so long had arrived. This baby is the Christ, the anointed one of God, the Lord, the King who will save his people from their sins. The angel was very specific about who this baby is. 
Then suddenly a multitude of angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. At that point, at least there was great fanfare about that baby, wasn't there? That must have been some sight. We don't know how many angels is a multitude, but they must have filled the skies that night above those shepherds. Nothing like that had ever taken place before anyone's birth before, but there'd never been born a king like this before. And what did the angels say about that baby? That he was the savior, Christ the Lord, not a savior, the savior. We're told later that there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. And Paul said there's only one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He is the only one. He is the king who saves his people from their sins. This was the savior they had waited for for so long. This was Israel's hope. This was the one that all the Old Testament saints had looked forward to for for their salvation. And in all the sacrifices they had performed over and over and over, He was finally here. And what was the reaction of those shepherds? Boy, we got to go see this. So they left and they went to see this baby and they found him lying in that manger. And what did they say about it? We're told by Luke that they made known the saying that they had been told. They said the same thing that the angels had told them. They couldn't keep quiet about this baby. All that heard it wondered about these lowly shepherds and what they were telling them about this baby. And we're told that the shepherds left and went back to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. At least in this instance, those who truly had seen the Savior couldn't keep quiet about it. May that be so today. Those of us who've truly seen the Savior, may we speak it and not keep quiet about it. Eight days later, Mary and Joseph brought that baby, Jesus, to be circumcised according to the law. They brought him to Jerusalem to present to the Lord. Later, they were to bring an offering for Mary's purification after her childbirth. When the time came, they traveled to Jerusalem to make the offering. And there was a man there named Simeon. He was in Jerusalem and he had been waiting for years for this birth. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he would see the Lord's Christ, the anointed one. When Mary and Joseph brought the child Jesus in, Simeon took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon looked at this baby and saw the king who would save his people from their sins. And he sees that both for Jews and for Gentiles. This king would save people from every background. 
Simeon looked at this baby and he saw salvation. And he told Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that's opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon knew that a sword would pierce Mary's soul. Years later, Mary would see her precious baby pierced for the sins of his people. It would pierce her soul as well as she watched her baby being pierced on that cross. But that was the moment for which he came. This baby, so precious to her, came to save her from her sins and us from ours. Luke tells us also that there was a prophetess named Anna. She was a devout widow who had spent her time in the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night and waiting for this salvation. She came up that very hour and began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all that were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna connected this baby that she saw to the redemption of Israel and thanked God for that birth. Anna knew that he was the king who would save his people from their sins. What we've reviewed so far were comments made very soon after Jesus' birth, in addition to those made long before his birth. And all these comments pointed to the same things. This baby was a human being, but he was no ordinary human being. He was God in the flesh. He was the God-man. He was fully God and fully man. No comments were ever made about a baby like the comments made about this baby. But the comments didn't end even there. Sometime after Jesus' birth, many months, perhaps more than a year, there were some wise men who came far from the east trying to find this child. They had gone to great effort and had traveled a great distance to come to find him. I'll bet they had never done that for any other baby. They came to Jerusalem and they asked a strange question about this child that they were looking for. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. What did the wise men say about this baby who by now was maybe a toddler by the time they got there? They said he was the king of the Jews and that he was worthy of worship. And they had come all that distance to worship him. King of the Jews, his star, worship him. What did they know about this child, this baby? Their belief was that he was a king. That the he heavens 
testified about him with the appearance of a star, a bright blazing body, perhaps the Shekinah glory cloud, and that he was to be worshiped. And they came a long way just to do that. When Herod heard about it, he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes and he asked them where this Christ would be born. Why would Herod ask such a question about some baby born in Bethlehem and make the connection to the Christ? The Christ is the anointed one of God, the Messiah. He's the one that all those Jews have been looking for all those years. He's the king who'd save his people from their sins. What connection would this baby born in Bethlehem have with the Christ, the anointed one? Well, the chief priests and scribes gave an answer to Herod. They said, they quoted Micah 2, Micah 5, which we read earlier. And they said the ruler of Judah, the one who would shepherd his people, would be born in Bethlehem, same town this baby was born in. Herod may have unknowingly, but truthfully, made the connection between this child and the Christ. Later, when the wise men found the child, they presented him with gifts and they did worship him. This child who was born so recently, still a child, was the object of worship from these men who traveled all that distance, many miles, for the express purpose of worshiping the king who would save his people from their sins. Well, not long after that, you remember Joseph was told to take this child and flee to Egypt for protection from Herod. Herod wanted to kill that child because he was so afraid of him. After Herod was dead, an angel appeared to Joseph again, telling him to return to Israel. And Joseph brought his family back. Interestingly, that's the third time that an angel has talked to Joseph about this child. Wouldn't you say it's pretty unusual if an angel talks to somebody three times about a child born to them? Matthew tells us that it was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Hosea. When Hosea said, out of Egypt, I have called my son. This is getting more serious all the time. This is God speaking of this child as his own son. This baby, who was the Messiah, the anointed one, the king of the Jews, the ruler of Israel, truly was God's son. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And Isaiah, who told us he would be born of a virgin and would be God with us, also said of him, but he was pierced, wounded, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him, that baby, the iniquity of us all. That baby who was God with us, God in the flesh, came to be wounded, to have our iniquities laid upon him and to be crushed for our iniquities. 
Why did he have to be wounded? Why did he have to be crushed? Because it was the only way that king could save his people from their sins. This baby whose birth we will celebrate tomorrow is in reality the king of all creation. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of all his people. He's the king of love. And he came for the express purpose of saving his people. He came to save his people from their sin, from eternal death because of their sin. What comment do you have about this baby this morning? My prayer is that you believe that he is the king who will save his people from their sins. He is worthy of our worship. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, how we thank you that by your grace and out of love for us, you came as a tiny baby. We thank you that you lived that perfect life and then made the perfect sacrifice for our sins. We thank you that we can celebrate that tomorrow frequently. May we celebrate it frequently every day of the year as we remember what you have done for us. May we worship you and adore you every day, not just Christmas day. Would you draw from our hearts worship and adoration and service to you, our great King, who has saved us from our sins. And now, Father, we ask you to bless this offering that we're about to take. We pray that you would use this offering for the advancement of your kingdom, that that kingdom would extend over all the earth, and that every tongue and tribe and nation would hear of this King who will save his people from their sins. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.